This is the Immigration Conversation presented by Fragman, a series of talks and discussions by leading immigration lawyers and professionals from around the world. We'll bring you the most up-to-date business immigration news, issues of concern, and strategies in the world of global immigration and mobility. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another installment of our Immigration Conversation podcast, part of our Asia-Pacific Insight series. Uh, my name is Kenny Lau, and I am a partner at Fragman Singapore, overseeing our Asia-Pacific Coordination Center. Uh, so last year, we had a two-part podcast called The Double-Edged Sword, uh, Japan Immigration's Balancing Act uh, during COVID-19, where we kind of laid out um, the status of the immigration landscape in Japan at the time uh, from both the foreign national standpoint as well as from the employer's perspective. Um, given that some time has passed now and we're still in the midst of the pandemic, and honestly, I think some people thought as well as I did that we would be in a much better place today than we are. Uh, we thought it might be good to revisit what's been going on in Japan um, specifically. And I think this is a very timely episode as we very quickly approach the Olympic Games uh, that are taking place in Tokyo in just a few weeks time. Um, it is of course the games that no one was sure would still take place. Um, and we've seen domestic support for holding the games has been quite low, although that's been increasing somewhat more recently. And just yesterday, the uh, Japanese authorities announced that the games will now be spectatorless, um, and that's in conjunction with a new um, uh, announced state of emergency. Uh, so with that, we're calling this podcast uh, The Flickering Torch, the Olympics and Japan's COVID-impacted immigration policy. Now, taking a step back and setting the stage again for our audience, Japan has traditionally been a country where we have seen a significant flow of uh, foreign nationals for work, for business, and of course, for tourism. Uh, now, with the pressure of hosting the Olympic Games, uh, it goes without saying that the challenges faced by Japan in the face of the COVID-related restrictions has exponentially increased. Uh, fairly or unfairly, uh, Japan has really been thrust into the international spotlight. And it's interesting to see how the government has reacted in terms of its current immigration policies. Uh, so with that, let's talk about how Japan has been adapting to the new normal during this pandemic, all with an eye towards the fast approaching Olympic Games. So joining me in this episode is our Japan team, including our Japan assistant manager and team lead, Adrian Goh, and consultants, Jeremy Chua and Jonathan Ying. Thanks, Kenny. Hi, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Uh, so team, um, thanks for joining. Uh, could you first give us the lay of the land here and um, give us a quick update of what has transpired in the Japan immigration um, scene since our last podcast? Uh, we mentioned, and I just mentioned, um, that J Japan's immigration system has had the reputation of being relatively stable um, and straightforward. So how has this um, really been impacted by COVID-19? Well, Kenny, the main aim of the Japan authorities has been to balance economic needs with containing COVID-19. But due to the very fluid nature of the COVID-19, contingencies have, of course, been made along the way. For example, the Japanese authorities introduced the face measures for entry into Japan in October 2020, which is basically an avenue for travelers to apply for a visa, either for work or business within the COVID-19 environment, while visa issuance and uh, visa exceptions are still suspended and also uh, been from the early days of the pandemic. This would also allow travelers to travel to Japan while adhering to certain pre-departure 
and post-arrival requirements. So, example, given uh, COVID-19 tests within 72 hours of flight to Japan and 14 days uh, quarantine in Japan, which we see that this is a very common uh, requirement across the world. So, these were known as the uh, residence and business track. This has so far been the Japanese authorities' method of controlling the number of people entering Japan for work or business trips, while at the same time minimizing the spread of the coronavirus and moving towards business as usual. Thanks, Adrian. I'd have to agree that the general sense we're getting is that the Japanese authorities were trying to pull off a balancing act. And however, with the benefit of hindsight, the situation was uh, a little bit too fluid. The high watermark of this balancing exercise was probably when the Japan government, for the first time, eased the travel restrictions by removing multiple countries such as Australia, China, New Zealand, South Korea, Singapore, and etc. from their entry ban list. This, for one, allowed travellers to obtain their Japanese visas and effectively reduced the pre-departure and post-arrival formalities. Business visitors were even uh, able to enjoy relaxed rules during the 14-day quarantine period, such as being able to visit locations indicated within a fixed itinerary submitted during the visa application. Towards the start of 2021, with the news of the rapid spread of the variants of the COVID-19 virus, the Japanese authorities decided to declare a first state of emergency, and let's refer to this as SOE for short, in multiple prefectures in an effort to reduce the transmission of COVID-19. With the SOE in place, the previously introduced phase measures were also suspended in order to further bolster efforts to reduce the importation and transmission of the different strains. This effectively meant that Japanese embassies were no longer issuing visas. And without visas, of course, foreign nationals without a valid residence card are not able to travel to Japan. The second declared SOE was slated to last from 7 January to 7 February 2021, and it was eventually extended until March 2021. This was lifted for a while as the SOE has taken a psychological toll on many people, and many of whom were no longer following the government's uh, recommendation to avoid non-essential outings. Uh, this SOE then resumed in May 2021, when it appeared that transmission rates were not being curtailed as effectively as it was previously hoped. The SOE in Japan then ran until end June 2021 in some prefectures, right up until today. We heard that the Japan government is considering implementing a further SOE for Tokyo again. And while the end date for the suspension of the phase measures was initially tied to the SOE, when the SOE itself was lifted in March 2021, the suspension of the phase measures, however, remained in place. Hence, uh, at the moment, we understand that the end date of the phase measures is no longer tied to the SOE in that sense. Um, further on, there has also been a recently introduced uh, entry ban on top of the existing entry ban for individuals uh, traveling from countries where the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus is uh, widespread. And as it now stands, these countries uh, include India, uh, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Maldives, Sri Lanka, and Afghanistan. This, of course, would affect uh, even those who already hold valid residence cards. Thanks, Jonathan, for the, that roller coaster ride. So we also saw um, additional requirements for the entry process. So uh, things like uh, the installation of uh, four specific 
COVID-19 related mobile apps on the phones, the imposition of a written declaration to adhere to COVID-19 related quarantine requirements within the individual written pledge, uh, self-declaration of uh, health conditions and daily temperature during the quarantine period, uh, and so on and so forth. So these are all added for uh, existing residents of Japan as well. So uh, this would be people who are Japanese nationals or are holding a valid uh, residence card. So furthermore, Japan also introduced and has uh, continually updated a list of countries with what they call the enforced and reinforced uh, quarantine measures. So th uh, this would be things, uh, um, these are um, this group of people, they are affected uh, by things such as uh, staying at a specific uh, government quarantine facility for a few days, uh, for six days, uh, six days for the enforced uh, group and uh, three days for the reinforced group. Uh, and uh, then thereafter, they can carry out the rest of the quarantine at home or at uh, temporary accommodations. So these are for countries or regions that show community uh, transmission of um, COVID-19 variants of concern. Uh, in addition to that, the, the authorities, they are constantly adding in and removing countries on uh, probably uh, a weekly basis to uh, the enforced and reinforced quarantine lists based on the prevailing conditions. So this is to minimize impact to travel and also to keep uh, Japan safe at the same time. Um, in addition, since uh, it is uh, still possible to apply for uh, the Certificate of Eligibility or what we call the COE, foreign nationals uh, would have continued to receive their approved COEs. Now, um, COEs typically uh, are valid for uh, three months from issuance. Um, the Japan authorities, they have acknowledged this limitation and has since extended the validities of COEs to try and accommodate the, the travel restrictions that are in place. So the latest iteration of this is that all recently issued COEs are considered, uh, considered to be valid to at least until uh, January 2022. Okay, so as the situation around the world is uh, evolving very, very quickly, the Japan uh, immigration climate is uh, changing quickly as well. And uh, we are here at Fragment, we have been monitoring the situation uh, and we are doing our best to keep our clients updated by uh, updating our dedicated COVID-19 website as well as uh, checking in periodically with assignees and client contacts who are uh, affected by the travel restrictions. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, I guess we should turn to that next. Um, what does all of this mean, practically speaking, uh, for companies um, in Japan? Um, Adrian, maybe I can start with you. Well, currently, it is our understanding that the SOE is not strictly linked to the travel restrictions. So we will unfortunately have to wait for a specific announcement regarding the visa insurance suspension and resumption of the insurance of visas. We are certainly keeping a close eye on this and making the proper inquiries where appropriate. So with the ongoing suspension of visa insurance, while the Japan Immigration Service Agency, or ISA for short, is still issuing COEs, this means that we must monitor the COE expiry date. Just recently, we were seeing that the COEs are nearing their expiry dates and yet assignees have not been able to travel into Japan due to the ongoing suspension, which keep getting extended. And we are even talking about COEs that were just being issued at the start of this year. Uh, the Japan authorities finally provided a new concession to extend the COE validity on July 5th, 2021. So in short, COEs issued in 2020 and 2021 are technically valid at least until January 2022. Nonetheless, with the fluid situation of the pandemic, we cannot be sure if the suspension will be lifted at that point in time. Moving forward, Japan could either continue to extend the COE validity as they have been doing, 
or lift the travel restrictions entirely. Before the newly introduced concessions, we were working with our clients separately whose employees have uh, yeah, approved CO engineering expiry. And, and we are talking about July 31st, uh, 2021. If they would like us to uh, open new COEs in case Japan eases the suspension after the expiry of those COEs. Now, this will be important to plan ahead of time such that uh, we are not caught on the back of the foot when uh, Japan does, in fact, decide to open up or if the authorities do not provide a new concession to extend the COE. However, with the introduction of the latest concession on 5th July, we're now working to provide further updates to our clients on the best remobilization strategy. That's right, Adrian. Thanks. And uh, if we can zoom out for just a second, um, having an approved COE is only a part of the whole story and overall process to get work authorization in Japan. If we think of obtaining the COE as the first substantive step, naturally the next step is to apply for and obtain an entry visa to travel to Japan. And at this juncture, the twofold complications of the ongoing suspension of a visa issuance and Japan's visa exemption arrangements pretty much across the board, um, means that temporary business visitor visas are also not expected to be available to most business travelers for the foreseeable future. For this reason, business trips at this juncture are overall a no-go. For our clients, of course, this is not just an abstract delay as a start date be is being impacted due to the ongoing travel restrictions. Of course, there are also concerns about the COE validity itself and the need to apply for a new COE if and when the current COE expires. This will only add to the delays in entering Japan when the travel restrictions are eventually lifted. And the Japanese authorities actually tend to make announcements without much uh, notice and very often towards the end of a stated period. So as you can imagine, there is also a lot of uncertainty and quite understandably, our clients need assurance from time to time and we have endeavored to provide that by working through the available options with them and weighing the respective pros and cons. The introduction of the new concession for COE validity uh, is a good example. Yes, uh, thank you, Jonathan. So uh, in addition to the population that Jonathan was talking about um, uh, with um, uh, foreign nationals looking to enter Japan uh, uh, for the first time uh, to obtain their residence cards, we also have uh, uh, foreign nationals who are looking to travel out of Japan or who are already outside of Japan but uh, already holding on to a valid uh, Japan work visa. So this uh, group of people, this uh, group of assignees, they have to be very careful and uh, cognizant of the risks of not being able to uh, return to Japan as planned. So what we have been doing for our clients and um, the, 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 their assignees is that we have been uh, suggesting uh, to limit travel uh, and or all return to Japan as soon as possible as uh, things just uh, change in the blink of an eye. So for example, um, for Japan work visa holders as well as the dependent visa holders, if their residence card, their RC, um, their special re-entry permit or their re-entry permit expires before they are able to travel back into Japan. Um, their visas, their Japan visas, whether it's work or dependent visas, uh, these will be considered expired and invalid. And then what we need to do is we have to apply for a new COE again before they are able to enter Japan. So we are also discussing uh, other alternatives for clients, such as uh, postponing the relocation into Japan and um, pushing back the assignment start date, or even considering uh, working remotely outside of Japan for the, uh, for the Japan assignment. Thanks, Jeremy. I mean, it does sound like a very complicated situation with um, very limited options now to travel to Japan. However, let me ask you guys this. Has there 
have there been any exceptional cases uh, for travels into Japan during this time? That's a very good question, Kenny. We actually get a lot of uh, queries on regarding on how to travel to Japan in this period uh, with the ongoing suspension. So we actually were involved in uh, exceptional cases approved by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, or MOFA for short, that allow uh, travelers to apply for the uh, entry of consular visas and enter Japan even despite the ongoing travel restrictions. But this has been on a strictly exceptional basis. So to give an example, for urgent business needs such as uh, repairing a power grid in Japan or pharmaceutical companies sending their employees to Japan to work on COVID-19 vaccines, the uh, MOFA has granted special exceptions for temporary business visitor visas and work visas. Again, approvals such as these are exceptional and highly discretionary. So the Japan government also is allowing entry into Japan due to exceptional humanitarian reasons, such as if the travel is to treat uh, serious illness or if there's a sickness or death in the family or spouse of Japanese nationals being apart from their spouse uh, unable to return to Japan, even in the midst of these uh, travel restrictions. So the other batch of uh, uh, exceptions that we have, we, we have seen are the uh, participants of the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games, uh, scheduled to run from July 23rd to August, 2021 and uh, these athletes are also being allowed into Japan. In fact, we know that some are actually already in Japan. Thanks, Adrian. I think that's probably what we want to turn to next, talking about the Olympics. Um, obviously, that's been one of the overarching topics in Japan at the moment uh, for obvious reasons. Um, we talk a lot about the balancing act that countries around the world have had to make uh, when it comes to juggling their immigration policies and the economic impact of those policies uh, during this global pandemic. Uh, but I think no country um, exemplifies or illustrates this more than Japan. And that's because they have also had to make some major decisions um, as it pertains to the Olympic Games. Now, we've already seen them having to postpone the Games from last year. As you mentioned, Adrian, it was supposed to be the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games, um, but now it will be the 2021 Games. Um, can you guys provide further insights on this and how Japan has been managing? Yeah, Kenny, sure thing. Uh, I, I, personally, I'm a couch potato, but I like to, uh, you know, uh, watch sporting events. And the, the Olympics was supposed to be the major sporting event of 2020, now uh, 2021. So the whole world has been looking forward to the, uh, including myself, right? So uh, we had uh, even had queries from clients on letting support personnel for the Olympics. However, with the ongoing pandemic and uh, Japan in uh uh, uh honestly in a position that is no better than it was last year so um japan had decided to proceed with the uh with the games they they have to decide whether to proceed with the games as is or cancel them altogether so we know that uh, officially the cost of the postponed olympics is estimated to be around 15.4 billion okay and uh, canceling the olympics of course will cost even more uh, also um uh, Tokyo will be the only host city in modern Olympics history to cancel it twice if Japan chooses to cancel the 2021 Olympics. So the authorities have been backed into a corner where they are, uh, well, pardon my French, damned if they do and damned if they don't. Uh, now having to proceed with the Olympics despite having no spectators, like uh, Kenny mentioned earlier, uh, from overseas and uh, in the midst of controlling the domestic uh, COVID-19 infection rate. Right with you on that, Jeremy. And um, we do know at this moment that um, the Japanese government has been working closely with the International Olympic 
and Paralympic committees and the Tokyo 2020 organizing uh, committees, uh, along with the world's leading experts in health and sports event delivery, in order to set up a comprehensive plan for the Olympics to take place safely while still, still managing the COVID-19 pandemic, which as we have seen has experienced an uptick in Tokyo recently. There are various immigration measures that have been put in place both prior to entry into Japan and while in Japan to ensure that the games can be conducted in as in a safe as manner as possible. The process for athletes and participants in the games has actually been very similar to the previous uh, phased measures process uh, available to the general public, including obtaining a written pledge, uh, self-monitoring of temperature and health, as well as obtaining a negative COVID-19 uh, test result prior to traveling to Japan. Um, of course, there's also the downloading of our mobile applications, as you were uh, sharing earlier, and uh, the quarantine after actually arriving in Japan. But there are also additional measures peculiar to the Olympics, including firstly, the assignment of a COVID-19 liaison officer, or CLO, to athletes and participants. The main responsibility of the CLO is to ensure that athletes and participants are fully aware of and will adhere to the COVID-19 measures and also to field any queries or concerns they may have. The CLO will also arrange for the necessary documentation as well as pre-departure and post-arrival requirements. Additionally, athletes and participants in the Games will need to make sure that they have a valid pre-valid card or PVC for short, which will then be validated to become their Olympic Identity and Accreditation Card or Paralympic Identity and Accreditation Card, as the case may be. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, that's good to know, and it sounds like they do have the athletes and participants well covered. However, for our larger client base, uh, which unfortunately mainly falls outside that group, how has the upcoming games impacted the ease of immigration for those clients and for those companies? Uh, well, Kenny, it uh, now appears that the travel restrictions for new entrants, so um, like what you mentioned, most of our clients and non-participants in the Games, uh, this will be put on hold until after the Games to uh, minimize the transmission of the virus and to uh, ensure that the Games can be carried out successfully. So uh, we believe that this is going to be the sole focus of the government, at least uh, uh, in the foreseeable future, and uh, until the Olympics have concluded. So um, we, we are seeing... Um, um, reports of, of that, that the reopening of borders is not an immediate priority until after the Games. And our ears on the ground and rumours that we are hearing is that Japan would uh, probably ease the suspensions only after the Olympics. So, um, uh, candidly speaking, in, in terms of immigration updates, uh, the Japanese government, uh, uh, has they have been playing their cards very close to their chest and announcements are made at the drop of a hat. What we can do and what we offer um, the, to our clients and our, um, the assignees is to closely monitor and to uh, anticipate um, these announcements, uh, these um, uh, new um, provisions to further prepare for the opening of the borders when the time comes. And uh, we have been working together with our clients for that potential post-Olympics reopening. Uh, but it will be, uh, of course, uh, uh, good for companies to be prepared for either a sudden reopening or even a potential extension of the existing restrictions. So again, we, um, we are remaining hopeful uh, for the travel restrictions to ease up after the Olympics for the general public. Uh, but in the meantime, clients should be prepared to wait until after the Games, uh, at least uh, before they start planning for their entry into Japan. And of course, uh, Fragment, we can definitely uh, help out with that planning. 
Thanks, Jeremy. I think that sounds like a big challenge, but I'm sure that um, the team is on top of things and will assist our clients to, uh, to the best um, that you guys know how. Um, Adrian, anything further to add from your side? Our Japan team has been monitoring the situation closely for all our clients. Uh, as soon as the borders open up, we are ready to provide assistance to our clients for their employees move as best as we can. Uh, I would suggest to our clients that they do keep in close contact with their fragment advisor so that we can proactively help with the strategizing on their eventual remobilization plans. Thanks, Adrian, and thanks, team. Um, I think when we started this uh, podcast series, we were a bit more optimistic that perhaps by this time, at least, we'd be further out of the pandemic situation than we are. Um, I think the Japan experience has shown us that there are forces and pressures, both domestic and international, of course, that have contributed to every government's ever-changing immigration policies. And Japan's policies have just been unfortunately thrust into the international spotlight recently due to the Olympic Games. But it does present a very unique case study here. Uh, so with that, I want to thank Adrian, Jonathan, and Jeremy for joining me in this discussion. Kenny, at the same time, I would like to give a shout out to uh, one of our teammates who actually helped research uh, on today's topics, uh, especially on the Olympics. So thank you, Carol. Thanks, Adrian, and thanks, Carol. Um, I hope our listeners did pick up um, helpful points from our discussion here today. Um, if any of you have any questions, please visit our website and feel free to contact our Japan team. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. This has been The Immigration Conversation. The Immigration Conversation podcast is presented by Fragment, the leading firm dedicated exclusively to immigration services worldwide. This episode is current as of the date of recording. With frequent changes in global immigration, be sure to keep up to date by visiting our website at www.fragamon.com and subscribing to the Immigration Conversation on your favorite podcast service to hear the latest episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice or give rise to an attorney-client relationship between any listener and our firm. If you have any questions, please contact the Global Immigration Professional with whom you work at Fragamon.